Good morning, Stefan. Good morning, Jamie. How are you? I am very well, thank you. Good. Good to hear it. <laughs> so uh, we've already had a preamble to this morning's uh, podcast, but uh, we're starting fresh. We are. We're gonna. I like. I like a fresh start. <laughs> I like a fresh start. <laughs> I like yeah. a fresh start. So, so yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, I actually feel with this fresh start, like I feel space. I feel open. <laughs> I feel good. Yes. How are you feeling this morning? Well, uh, I feel more positive because we started, we started down a road of um, how we've been abusing how we abuse our adrenal system and our nervous response system with media mm -hmm. in general mm -hmm. and media in general, whether it's Instagram or whether it is the, what people call mainstream media or whether it is just what our friends tell us on Facebook, all of that does not really reflect the true state of the world or things that we would say, or we could say are important to humans and life on this planet. Right. And um, I looked it up in our break and the book that uh, I wanted to uh, talk about, or at least I wanted to remind myself about is a book by Hans Rosling called Factfulness. And the subtitle to that book is called The Reasons We're Wrong About the World and Why Things Are Better Than You Think. <laughs> I like that. I like and, that. And so uh, Hans Rosling is a researcher, an academic and a researcher. Okay going to write this down. Remind me the title of the book again, please. It's called Factfulness. Gotcha. Factfulness. 10 reasons we are wrong about the world and why things are better than you think. Nice. And the one of the significant things that he discovered in this book was as he toured uh, this information around different academic circles at universities. Uh, let's I'll call them our grand uh, educational institutions and medical schools and other places. What's that he discovered the more educated people were, the less they actually knew the facts of how the world, the state of the actual world. And so these facts resolve, uh, revolved uh, around or were related to infant mortality rates, food security, uh, unemployment, um, the state of the environment, all of these things. Uh, and in most cases, they are radically different than what people imagine. And the then more educated- <clears throat> Go ahead, go ahead. And the more educated people were and the audiences that he surveyed with relation to these facts, uh, the more they got it wrong or the f further off they were in terms of their perceptions of homelessness, their perceptions 
of uh, food insecurity, their perceptions of accessibility to health, accessibility in neonatal health care, um, infant mortality rates in Africa, all of these things, people were wrong about Does he them. go into why? Why is that? Like, if that's the, the, the data he is telling him that the more educated someone is, the more, the less, like, the less on base they are with the reality of the facts of these numbers. I don't, I don't, I don't remember in reading that he came up with any concrete answers beyond the more specialized we are, the more narrow we are in our focus, the uh, the less we really know about what's going on around us. But it doesn't explain how wrong people were, especially really educated people, about the state of the world. That's versus- really interesting to me. And then it makes me wonder, okay, so just to kind of like, as a, you know, a person who grew up in very rural Nevada. Um, the more that I got out, um, you know, it, it kind of spread my wings, right? Traveled the world, lived in different places, um, and and then kind of came back near my home base here in Las Vegas, still not quite as rural as where I grew up. But so like my experience was, man, I wish everybody could get out because it really opens your mind. It allows you to see more. And I felt like becoming friends with more educated people and, um, you know, it, like it opened my mind. It opened my mind to um, really that things weren't as bad as they seemed when I was in my little town, right? Like where everybody's stupid and every, you know, like these are common things that people repeat is like, oh, they're this and they're, oh, city folks. And, you know, a lot of, um, I don't know, curmudgeonly uh, opinions about anyone from outside that small area, right? And like the the more that I, I traveled, the more open things seemed to be. But then, you know, you look at the, is it Hans Rosling data says almost the opposite right or quite the opposite where like the more educated people are often they're more myopically focused um and it is well we we i don't know that we should confuse education with wisdom right knowledge people filled with knowledge doesn't necessarily make them open or or interested in being aware of what's really going on that's a beautiful point. And I love that you brought that up because being educated does not always make you wise. <laughs> well, no. And in this day and age, knowledge is everywhere, right? Yeah. We can we can ask Siri. We can go to Google. Mm-hmm. We can ask Alexa. We can now go to AI and have mm-hmm. AI, right? Chat we can AI, have yeah. AI write us a paper yeah. yeah we can go to chat gtp and have have it write us a paper on the the history of medieval europe and so knowledge is everywhere but it, it doesn't mean that people are more able or interested in parsing the facts and in prioritizing the facts the fact might be that 
someone, there was a school shooting incident in, you know, any number of them in the last, in (laughs) the last 10, you know, in the last 10 weeks. Yeah. And those are facts, but are they facts that are relative or uh, are um, relevant to the actual state of the health of the world and of the, the, the society that we live in? They're cherry picked, right? Yeah. And so, so if we choose to focus our energy on that, we will miss the fact that infant mortality rates are down. Mamas around the world have better access to healthcare. Um, the quality of people's employment around the world, poverty in general, is down quite a bit. And so what he does, in what Rosling does, is he defines these things and teach and and helps prioritize, well, what is important information, right? Like here, and here are facts. Basis is he found? Yeah, like, I guess that's well, the, here, that is the question. Well, yeah. How well, do you prioritize the world? Like if we say the world is terrible or like we focus on homelessness, well, homelessness may indeed be a crisis. A, we call it a crisis mm-hmm. in Seattle, but the fact is, is Seattle is still a very wealthy, incredible place in the world. What the problem in Seattle is an incredible amount of income disparity, right? That's creating the homelessness. But in general, around the world, there the people are doing better, right? Like people, there's less poverty and he defines levels of poverty and he defines what is a third world nation. It's just that this, the world is leveling out, right? The income disparity is kind of coming to America now. And, and so we focus on things, we focus on these things unnaturally, right? Like, and the fact or we have to decide what we want to focus on and if we want to focus on the world being bad there is plenty of data out there that we can cherry pick and say look the world is bad right well and that's the thing with data in general right now and like i remember this uh, in any corporate environment that you go to you can you can use data to make your case, whatever that case may be, there's probably some data out there that will support that case. (laughs) And that's, that's the, uh, the interesting thing with data is you decide what story you want to tell, and then you get data that supports it. Right. But how do we separate bias from data or in the prioritization of data that we're sharing? Well, we have to decide what we care about. (laughs) <laughs> and so, and, that's and where so that it's arbitrary. It is ultimately yeah. it's arbitrary. Right. That, that's bit- what makes it kind of interesting is like, yeah, I mean, it just depends on the lens that you choose to view it through. Yes. And so if we take, if we take what Rosling's doing to the highest level, he is also deciding what 
data is important. Right. And it's, but ultimately what he's trying to counteract is people cherry picking information and supporting really negative, terrible viewpoints. Right. And, and really so the, leaning toward the negative. Yeah. Yes. But, but ultimately the earth doesn't care. You know, it's funny. <laughs> the, and, the and I, I, yeah. Like the earth's going to do what the earth's going to do. Right. Like it's yeah. got it its own thing going out. on and we're little people <laughs> with our own little minds and emotions and but you know, like this is a, a fascinating thing, though. It, when I think about it, like, oh man, that whole the cherry picked bias. I mean, oh man, this is such a funny thing because, like, again, going back to like marketing advertising background, right? Like, oh, it used to make me. I, I didn't. This is why I left the industry, right? Of of advertising and marketing was this is what people want. So we're going to give them more of it. And it, it's people respond to alarming and outrageous things. Yes. But maybe if we put more good out there more, more frequently, people would respond to that too. It's that we're giving them the choice of bad or worse often. So yeah, people are going to respond to bad or worse one way or another, but like, I, I don't know that logic of, well, this is what people want. It used to really, um, it upset me enough to leave the industry of marketing and advertising. I, mm. I guess it's, it was just, it, it was not a fit for my values or mindset or the way I wanted to contribute. Yeah. To and, and really in, in, because I'm still in the marketing and advertising industry, yeah, growing an agency and in in the sustainable tourism consulting industry. Yeah, we we have blended those uh, together in or, order to do these kind of tourism initiatives. But I would say, if you took the subtext of this is what they want, it would be like this is what we want them to want. Yes. And that, <laughs> and is... this is what, and the other subtext to that is this is, this is what they're addicted to. This is what we can reasonably get them addicted to, whether it is catastrophic news, mm -hmm. whether it is the slipping something, a commercial in during the, uh, evening weather report about storm, you know, some stormageddon that's coming. Yeah. It's like, this is, it's what, it's the easiest way to get someone's attention, right? We know what people are addicted to. The industry knows about it. The industry drives it in many ways. Yeah. And, right? and, and, uh, and now it is, you know, while TikTok is the ultimate, is the ultimate distillation of this where people's viewing habits are, so under such a microscope that they can be fed stuff that the platform, the TikTok platform knows they will continue to watch. Right. So yeah. the average, like the, the, I don't know, the average session is something like third average TikTok session average, which means some is what, you know, could be, the average session is, let's say, 13 minutes, I believe is probably the last time uh, we had a discussion about this at our agency. And then 
in that time, people watch 20 to 30 videos. And so in that session time, TikTok has 20 or 30 data points. How long did you watch something? When did you scroll to the next? How long did you stay on any piece of content? So they have tons of metadata versus if you just watch one HBO show, you only really have one piece of, you know, a few pieces of metadata because it's just one show in one genre. And there's only so much data you can attach to that. Maybe where you start and stop it, but otherwise it's a lot less. So so it's just the volume of metadata TikTok is able to collect on us and then to put back into the engine and refeed, feed us new content and feed our addiction is incredible, right? It is an, it is an addiction testing machine. And that is the ultimate distillation of all the media and all the advertising that has ever been presented through us, to us through time, whether it's snake oil ads in the, at the turn of the, at the turn of the 19th century in newspapers to late night infomercials, the industry has figured out how to feed our addiction. And so for us, we, as our, uh, I will speak from our point of view at our agency, we have a concept we call story doing, where when we have a client, uh, we try to work with, let's say local producers, local agencies, uh, local operators, whether it's hotels or lo eco lodges. And we ask our client, if we're going to film or do some kind of documentary project in a certain area, we ask our client to participate in the programs that are going to support that area, that eco lodge, that, uh, foundation and leave something good behind and then they get a positive story yeah out of it the lodge or the foundation or the animal shelter gets a also gets a positive story out of it and everyone benefits and money is left behind or support is left behind and we do the same thing with our birder show our sponsors we don't just ask them for money. We ask them for stuff or support in the community. So in the case of the birder show, our little YouTube series, we actually have them, they give us binoculars. And then when we're in, when our team, when Chris and Diego are in these remote areas, they are able to give binoculars to little aspiring scientists and ornithologists and biologists, these children who have no access to equipment to, to foster their, um, their love for birding or the outdoors or adventure. And so we get to tell that story, but it's, it's involves doing, it's not just telling the story of what we did or what the, you know, the, Cause that's the classical, at least in adventure, adventure travel and this kind of outdoor pursuit area of outdoor pursuits, 
the the tendency is for it's mostly white dudes white adventurers this is the red bull model you yeah. go into an area and you do something radical and ridiculous whether it's jumping off a cliff in a, a squirrel suit and then you extract your story and then you put it on instagram but nothing is left behind for the area it's totally extractive there's no there's no social benefit other than you're creating a piece of addictive content right right that makes people scared like oh wow that is crazy i'd never do that but yeah. it's and the same goes for i mean mountaineering and it's it's all about the dude who's mostly Right. Occasionally there are, there are women, but when it comes to adventure and adventure travel, a lot of times it's just about dudes conquering places that we've never been to yeah. and leaving nothing good behind. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. So huh. we, we are, instead of just storytelling work, we call it story doing. Story doing. I Asking like that. Pe people to be involved. Yeah. Uh Man, no, that's really good. That's really good. I that like was a that. long ramble about just the capricious nature of how we choose, how we try to grab people's attention. <laughs> yeah, but that's, you know, and that's it. And it's, I think like to your point though, like with the, with what you're trying to do differently with your company is actually leave something positive behind, you know, that's a, that's a very different message um, than, yeah, just, you know, trying to blow people's minds in this way. I, I like that. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll, it, it recently just won us uh, a big deal, which eventually in a few weeks, we'll be able to talk about publicly. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I am very interested in learning more about that. Yeah. It's, uh, cool. it's quite an amazing um, project and it will last five years. Wow. That's really cool. Man. Yeah. And um, so we're going to, we're and part of why we won the, the project. Oops. Is, uh, the reason we, or one of the main re many reasons, uh, well, maybe a main reason that we won the project is because we we had this idea, this kind of involving involving uh, the area. The doing yeah. the story, doing in an area, leaving something good behind, not just leaving money, yeah, but actually um, training or equipment or support, ongoing support. Yeah, something creating. It's more building, more constructive. I yes, love I love yes. that. I love that. I love that whole concept. I think that's really neat. Well, we'll see how it works out. We've been doing it for years. We just never had a name for it. Yeah. We, we, you know, with certain clients who, uh, who've been amenable to this approach, um, we've, we've done this Yeah, and it's turned out really well. And we may have talked about, we did a project with Merrill, uh, yep. well, actually uh, Caterpillar yeah. boots. Did we talk about this? That. Yeah. Yeah. 
with the with the wildlife center of the, the north uh, wildlife center of the north coast in Oregon. That's very cool. I don't think we talked about. I mean, I remember you getting that deal. So I don't think we've talked about it since like actually executing. <laughs> well, it was, this was a long time. This was yeah. uh, one of our early successes in this area, but the, this is a very small wildlife rehabilitation center that takes in eagles and otters and ducks and any, any animal that's wounded in that area of Northwestern Oregon. It's entirely run by volunteers. It's a nonprofit. People come and most of the work there is cleaning up poo and feeding little animals, right? And there's veterinary, some veterinary work that goes on, but mostly it's just feeding animals and cleaning up poo until they're well enough to be, go back in the wild. And they don't have a lot of money. They don't have a lot of equipment. They have an incredible story of the founder who single-handedly founded it. And then a young man who was in 14 years old when he started working at the wildlife center. And when the founder unexpectedly died, he was just still a teenager, maybe 19. He took over the whole wildlife center because he was the one who'd spent the most time there working. And so we wanted to tell that story and, um, we got Caterpillar Boots to, uh, and we could have just gone there and used it as a backdrop and told the story and extracted the story and then left. But what we did was we got Caterpillar shoes, boots to donate all the shoes for all of the employees there. So that when we were actually shooting, they were wearing shoes that they were, you know, they're wearing their wellies, their rubber boots. Yeah that uh that for legitimate work cleaning up duck poo and stuff like that i think that's great and then we also got them to contribute money to the to the uh um to the to the foundation that supports this little wildlife rehab center and we created a documentary that was the story of the wildlife center and the story of this woman who founded it and the story of the young man who took over. And it's a beautiful story. And we created a bunch of shorts and maybe it's a 12 minute, little 12 minute documentary, but then we created a bunch of social media shorts. And so the wildlife center has this story, has can use this to promote their work and tell their story. Merrill, uh, Caterpillar, um, um, has this story and it won us a bunch of awards. It won five telly awards. And so everyone benefited and it has a long-term, it has a long-term impact having that story out there. It attaches people emotionally to the work that they're doing in a way that wasn't available before they now they have a way to tell that story over and over and over so that that's one of the early projects that we did that that showed us there's a different way to do advertising right because they those companies are going to spend tens of thousands of millions of dollars 
on stuff like this. And if you're just hiring models and having them tromp around a city and then shooting the models tromping around the city, you're not really telling much of a story. Right. Any, anyway. Yeah. There's not, there's not much value to that story other than you have cool, cool looking skinny people wearing, you know, wearing the latest fashion and wearing whatever shoes. Right. Right. What the industry became. No, I like seeing a shift. I like seeing people tell more stories and I like, you know, I, I know, I know that's something I've, I've certainly always cared about is the the human side of every you know everything that I do and trying to help amplify the human side, and that's exactly what my work today is about. You know, in in a way, it's like learning and development of the the people, but the building the culture and and amplifying the internal voices because they're every bit as important as the end user of the product right like and the product is just something that connects human beings and i've always kind of viewed it that way and that's what shifted my focus from making products to actually nourishing the people who make digital products and because i feel like that's that's my strength and what i care about i care about the people the human side a lot more than i care about the digital aspect but i understand there's a you know, it's a a reality of the world we live in, entertainment and, um, you know, and and stuff like that. Digital products are a reality of the world we live in. But I I think there was so much, um, I don't know if unhealth is a word, but there was so much unhealth involved in how we go about making these things in how we treat the people who make these things we have these high expectations always got to you know turn over a dollar and and monetize 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 and meanwhile like people are being robbed of their way of life of the balance of of living and actually feeling um life outside of work i don't know mm. so that's that's a yeah that's why i do what i do right now as well it sounds like you know your agency is very much about the humanity of of what we do i like that well work is life yes that's, right that's it the other thing it's like it's not separate it's, it is life we it is right it's not it's not separate right we can't i mean it's not we separate shouldn't be compartmentalizing it's, but yeah we also shouldn't be it shouldn't be everything right like it shouldn't like yeah, there should be a fluidness. Like it, it's like we don't sleep a hundred percent of the time because sleep is not everything. Like there's this balance of weaving experiences and and you know taking the dog for a walk and um, looking out, out the window at the mountain range and and standing up and and going outside to breathe some air and getting away from the screen and like yet there's also like I get so excited about writing you know I love writing and I love hearing stories and asking people what their story is and I don't know there's just so much more to it than one concrete thing that we can I I just feel like yeah the court I I just heard somebody make this statement earlier this week because there's this conversation about the hybrid model of work right um about there's a lot of people since the pandemic who want people to come back to the office. And, you know, and like for me, I've been working from home or my own office 
for 10 years now. And the idea of going to someone else's office for eight hours a day, or even if it's only three, the, any sort of idea of mandating my time in your space is a, an extraordinary turn off for me because I no longer own my time. And part of what I love about this, about what I've created for myself is that I own my time. I own my time. I, we've decided how much of my time you're going to get for this price or whatever. Yes. Um, but like design when, when I distribute those hours or minutes or whatever, right? Like I, I get to design that throughout my existence within a 24 hour time period. I like that. I like that autonomy. And as soon as you tell me I need to be in a fixed space for a fixed amount of time, I start to resist that. And, and one person's response was, so one person said, well, my product, you know, product guy gives me more in 30 hours working from home than I get from most people who work 40 in front of me, you know, and he said like, so I would argue the case that working from home is fine. And um, a person tried to counter that argument with, well, you pay him for 40 hours. And I was like, ah, that's such an old school way of thinking. Like, why are we the well, quantifying hours? It's like, you have a task that needs to be done where we should be more, I don't know, well, project look. and system. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And yeah. That well. statement just was so close-minded to me and I kind of went, <laughs> like no well it's it's i mean a lot of this is based on people's psychology and yeah. some and that work is something uh a necessary evil and so a lot of people view work as a necessary evil so then work always work is always an adversary that you're either trying to get over with or you're trying to avoid right and and the psychology and and we uh, and we train this into our children mm -hmm, in schools school. mm -hmm. this is the way it's trained into us so this adversarial relationship um it's pervasive especially in western culture mm -hmm. in u.s culture and trading time for money which often has very little to do with productivity yeah uh, and and so we've i don't know how we fix it i know in the same for me in my own world or in my own life i have had enough of my i have had enough businesses that i have owned and managed or been a part of where I always felt free to do what I needed to do. And my, my reward was the better I got at what I did, the more I got paid, the faster I got at yeah. what I was doing, whether it was high rise window cleaning or, you know, the, or, um, selling soft software service, software development services, the, the better I got, the more I got paid. And yeah. so I have a different psychology <laughs> and work isn't adversarial because I feel I am choosing the work I want to do. And I, yes. and I, my work life isn't separate. My work life is part of my everyday life. It is the, like, I enjoy 
my work conversations. I look forward to them. I look forward to solving problems that have to do with the growth of our business because it's going to be better for everyone. Our business will be better and healthier and we will be able to support more brilliant people in our business and we will be able to take on bigger and bigger jobs in our business and we will get to have a greater influence. Our philosophy, our advertising and program development philosophy will have more impact because more people will be wanting it as our company grows. And so all of those things, I don't have this adversarial relationship with work. Right. I I feel like I don't either. And I, it, it always, um, (laughs) when I, when I hear things like that, it, it kind of, yeah, it, it, into those sorts of things like it doesn't have to be like that we don't have to create that sort of tension I don't know well yeah Uh, yeah we don't but but we do but people do Mm. yeah because it's uh, it's it's I guess it's extractive right it helps if somebody is running a corporation that is trying to extract labor from people and get and get them to do stuff and uh, so that they can make money on that person's services then it pays to ultimately have use any easy technique to keep that person involved whether it's fear of losing health insurance or fear of not being able to pay the mortgage or right whatever it takes it helps to have a low minimum wage, right? Because that keeps a lot of people in fear. It helps to, it helps to have uh, uncertainty in the news about the economy, right? right? Because that yeah. because that keeps people trapped in their crappy jobs. <laughs> what a weird it, thing! What a weird system. <laughs> well, it's yeah. I mean. Well, it's, but it's, it's created, we have created it and collectively, and then we accept it. Yeah. And then there's some people who have become extremely powerful exploiting it, whether it's Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or even, even Bill Gates, who, uh, you know, he seems to have somewhat redeemed his image um, over the years founding the Gates Foundation, but I think a lot of that work could be attributed to Melinda. <laughs> a lot of the, <laughs> yeah. maybe the 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 work part of it, but certainly, certainly, a lot of our biggest industrialists and technology kings of technology have certainly learned how to extract the most. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> out of out of their employees and yeah. you've uh, you so seems like a somber we've gone in a really somber direction have, here huh? and i didn't mean for it to go that way i was just thinking how do we bring this back around because i i do feel <laughs> i mean i uh i do feel that like i don't know uh, you know the the work that we've done together um part of this last year is, you know, putting out the energy of what I wanted 
how I wanted things to go, what I wanted to have in my life. And, and sure enough, you know, after putting that sort of out into the universe, <laughs> like sure enough, I have exactly they always say, be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. No, but like, I'm loving it. Like, I really am loving what I'm doing right now. And, and I've always said, like, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing until I don't love it anymore. And then I'll figure out, you know, <laughs> you just keep figuring it out as you go. But I, I feel, um, I feel like, you know, I had to be mindful, very mindful in what I did put out there to, but it took me a lot of like iteration. It took me like, okay, I'm going to try this for a while. Nope, that's not it. Let me push that out. And, and now that helped me kind of focus in more specifically on what I wanted in my life. These are the things that I love that I want to keep. These are the things that I want to push. Um, you know, we talked a lot about push and pull and I'm using a lot of push and pull here, but I, I did want to like, I wanted to not have certain things in my life that, you know, as I, I kind of tried to find my way into what I did want. Um, and it was a lot of kind of, let me try this. Nope. <laughs> let me try this. Nope. <laughs> okay. Yes. This yes, 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 yes. And the more I did that, the, then it like, and it, it wasn't instant. It wasn't like, bam, here it was. But when it did, when it did present itself, I was like, wow, it's as if I designed this. And, and I, I did in a way, you know, over the course of many, many months, um, well, your entire life, your entire lifetime. Yeah. Has been that way, <laughs> mm -hmm. but there's a mindfulness, right? And there's a mindfulness and an energy and, um, and I'm, you know, I'm not always like focused on it, but I, I do feel like revisiting these conversations help me remember to put it back in focus. And when I say it, it, by it, I mean the energy, to put the energy that I want to experience and feel, to put out, put that kind of energy into the world and I get it in exchange. It's like a nice exchange that happens. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a, a really positive outcome of these conversations that we have. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that tied into all of the stuff we were talking about per se, but well, I, go ahead. Well, I, um, I just kept thinking that all of this is arbitrary, right? Deciding what is good and bad, deciding what we are interested in, deciding what, you know, uh, all the all the paths that there could be to joy or peace or greater spiritual understanding uh, our decisions and where we decide to go all of those things have to they're arbitrary they just have to do with us we can decide that I could work at this company and I would be happy or I could go take my dog for a walk and I would be happy or I could like this morning I was just got a fresh loaf of bread and sliced it uh, sliced a piece off and put it in the toaster and put the bread on it and I thought man how good does this taste and how long has this always tasted so good 
Yeah. It's like a fresh piece of bread, grass-fed <laughs> butter, a little sea salt on top of it. And I just think, man, this is just something so simple that just tastes so good and has so much joy available in it. Yeah. Just this, just this one chewy, crusty, buttery piece of bread. And so like arbitrary or not, is it not important to find the beauty in those things, the simple things? I mean, that's yes, that's the, it's the ultimate it's the ultimate being present, right? right? Cause right. in that, in that moment, in that moment I'm having with that toast yeah. and the butter and the bread, yeah. nothing else exists. It's, I mean, it is, it's a very tiny moment, but it's so positive. It's great. There's, there's appreciation. There's, this feeling of being grateful for people who care about making really superb bread. And it's, uh, this loaf came from essential baking in Seattle, which is one of the first giant commercial organic bakeries in the United States. And it was, and it was founded by some friends of mine, people, the, my de- some of my dearest friends. So, there's an attachment to that, right? So yeah. it's, you know, like if I'm in the store, it's easy for me to buy one of those loaves because I know that the people who are making it really care about making it. And somehow it ends up in the taste, right? Or I extrapolate that and I project it into that piece of toast. That, <laughs> you know what, Stefan, that's something, when I go back to like the work side of it, I use that. Um, example, I always reference like master chef, but that care that you just described that the, the people who make it put some care into it. Right. And it's as if you can taste that care when you eat the bread and, well, and, but you take the time to notice as well. It's, it's like, it's coming well, from both but, sides. Yeah. But we're, but the thing is, is we are painting a picture again, we're painting a picture I could, if I, if I grew up eating Wonder Bread with toasted with peanut butter and jelly on it, I might be able to recreate that same entire experience of being grateful for simple joys because I might have a beautiful moment or that moment of say when, when I was a kid that when I opened that, when I opened my lunchbox, there was that peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? That I really that somehow I really loved. But my experience in my experience in grade school was opening up my lunchbox and I had salami on rye. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty good. <laughs> well, as it wasn't, an adult, it as wasn't peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. <laughs> but I like salami and rye now. Yeah. But it doesn't have the same feeling it doesn't, there's certain things that where we attach. And I think this again, is this, again, it's, it is arbitrary because we choose, we choose what we pay attention to. And we may have been having a really great emotional moment at a previous time in our life. 
And it might be anchored into our memory by a certain smell, by a certain type of scenery, by a certain companion or a certain uh, um, material circumstance. And then when we recreate or we find ourselves in a similar material circumstance, it's easy to generate that emotional state again. Right. And so by changing our focus or bringing these things in, we can generate these positive emotional states, right? And we can further focus. Now, is it taking us from the moment or are we bringing that feeling into the moment and then amplifying it? Uh, it's, I, I think, um, I don't think it matters. I was just going to ask, does it matter? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it matters. Yeah, it, good question. It, it's just a, a matter of like, yeah, like choosing the feeling you want to feel, I guess, in a moment and, and, and feeling it, really feeling it. Yeah, and that's, again, that's, that's just an everyday discipline. We just have to be disciplined about what we want to feel and what we want to experience. And then that will that will trigger or support a set of thoughts mm -hmm. that will either further that experience or further that set of feelings, or it will take us in another direction, right? But it's, again, we have to be vigilant, stalk it, ourselves. Yeah, we have to I, be vigilant about what we're thinking, what we're paying attention to, and that it kind of brings us back to the Hans Rosling thing is like Rosling is just saying, hey, you're looking at what you call your facts. Like you might have a fact that uh, I saw a homeless person on the streets of Seattle, which is pretty easy to do. And so my thought that goes with that and my feeling is maybe uh, worry for some people. It might be hatred or disgust and anger that there's homeless you know that they have to look at homeless people and the streets are filled with filthy people who are doing crack or you could it could trigger compassion or something else but in most cases homelessness at least in seattle triggers sadness and and so rosling is just presenting a global set of facts that maybe people could focus on and say well really homelessness is not the biggest issue on the planet right now yeah. <laughs> right there's other there's other things that are more important like global global warming climate change the rising of the seas right like there's things that probably pose a greater threat to humanity than homelessness yeah yeah and um even though we should in seattle we're wealthy we should deal with homelessness but it's where we choose to focus our minds and then what we decide how we decide to view those things because i can view homelessness as having been a homeless person i can view homelessness differently than say maybe some of my neighbors in this multi-million dollar condo tower that i i live in here with you know people who people who earn 10 or a hundred times more money than I have 
earned even in my lifetime. Um, and so <laughs> their, their idea of homelessness is very different than mine. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those darn uh, facts. There's plenty. You know, yeah. well, we started with, we started with facts. There's facts everywhere to support whatever point of view you want to have about the world. So, and, and in that light, like, what do you choose? What do you choose to focus on? Yes. And that's where that's, you put the energy. You know? Yes. I, I, I do. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I guess it comes back to that. Right. And then tying back to this conversation that we have every week where sometimes during the week, even during our call, <laughs> I get, a, I get distracted and you know, though like things happen, things, things happen. And they require our attention for a minute, but this pulls me back to the practice of deciding the practice of deciding, like, here's where I want to focus. You know, these are the facts I choose to focus on. These are the fact, and I'm not denying other facts exist, but these are the ones that I want to put my energy into. And that's what I appreciate about this call is, is that we, it brings it, it always brings it back to that. Where do you choose to focus? Where are you going to put your energy today and this week? And here we are. Well, I love, I love the idea of the practice of deciding. That's a great, I think that might end up that being the title. Uh, maybe that might be our title, the practice of deciding. We have a joke. Uh, we have a joke here uh, that uh, I was trying to get a young friend, uh, my, my friend's son, to just, uh, we're trying to get him to go to the rock climbing gym because he's a good boulder, a good rock climber. And he's yeah. like, kept saying that he wants to do it. And I'm like, well, here are the days that I'm available yeah. and that we can go. And on the day that and the day that I never heard back, right? And I go and I ask his dad, I go, I go, Terry, well, you know, is, is he going or what, what's, what's going on? And it, it's like, well, indecision is the key to flexibility. <laughs> what a great way to put it. That's funny. I might, I might not. Indecision. Indecision is the key to flexibility. That's interesting. But indecision is a prison. You know, it's I, just I, it's just I, like I, guilt. It's it's just like guilt or anything else. It's just a prison. It really is, and I love that you bring that up. I, I have maybe I'll save this for next week, but yeah, I um, had some people reach out for guidance, input. I threw out just, I probably overwhelmed them with too much stuff, <laughs> too many ideas, <laughs> too many possibilities and just like possibilities and a very specific opportunity. And then I never heard from them again. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, okay, I, I probably overwhelmed them with too many um, possibilities. And, and that's unfortunate because I think there was a lot of potential there, but whatever, you know, it's like, it's in your hands. Now you decide you, you own your time. So if you want to do this thing that I will pay you to do, 
have actually already paid them to do and then never heard from them again. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's the uh, Dubner, is it from Dubner and Levitt? Uh, they, uh, you know, and the, they did the, or they wrote about the research where if you present people with more than six choices, they will, they will be less happy yeah. about if they, if they even make a choice, they will be less happy about that choice. Um, then if there's a smaller amount of choices or if it's six choices or smaller, it's easier for people to make a choice and yeah. people will be more satisfied with their choice. If That's... there's more, if there's more than six, say there's 10 choices, people won't be sure that they made the right choice. It's interesting but... with, with this particular instance, and I don't want to keep us forever and the whole new topic, but like, I actually asked this, we'll just say individual, there were two people. I asked them to tell me what they thought they could do. You know, like what, what is it you're interested in? What gets you most excited? And they came back to me with probably about six different directions. And I chose one of the directions they gave me. And I said, that's the one I want. I'm going to pay you a small amount. So it's not a huge loss for me because this is a student, like basically college grad, right? Um, and I said, I'm going to give you this to, in case you want to buy supplies or materials or whatever, to give me back what you told me you wanted to do. And then silence. It's been just silence, a month of silence, mm. nothing. I don't know if anything's happening. I just find that so interesting, you know, but it's like, I took this, had a conversation like there's a whole bunch of possibilities here um tell me what you're interested in and then from that selection that they gave me i chose one and said yeah let's do this one okay go just set expectations well, Communicate. well apparently you <laughs> apparently you chose the wrong one i guess so you know and it's it's funny maybe, maybe they were hoping maybe they were hoping that you would just maybe they were hoping that you would uh pick a different Should one pick a different one or maybe <laughs> they just didn't maybe they were just making up fake choices just so that they could come up with something yeah, to say to have a pitch <laughs> yeah to you have know, it's a pitch interesting. and i think that that brings out great questions for me to like if i ever hear i'm not going to follow up with them they can follow up with me but like um because it's really no big deal on my end i'm just going to keep doing what well I it do. sounds like it's worth following up just to send an, an email and say well i What's did up? do I did do one and just say, Hey, everything. Okay. And, and I got one response like that will follow up. And then it's been two more weeks. So it was like two weeks. I didn't hear anything. I was like, Hey, still alive. And, you know, um, and then I got a response. We'll follow up with the plan of action and then nothing, two more weeks. So wow. I don't know. I'm just going to kind of leave it, but, um, yeah, I just, I, I find it so um, unfortunate because there is so much potential there, but it's not my potential to shape really. Like I, you know, I put it out there. It's an option, but I well, don't know, you can't. It might be good to have closure with somebody like that and just, <laughs> you know, and just say, hey, I'm curious to know. Yeah. It's been, it's been two weeks. Um, if I don't hear back about what you're up to in the next, let's say two days, I'm just yeah. going to assume that we are done. Yeah. Yeah. That might be a good idea. Because then it's closure for you yeah. and it lights a fire for them 
lights a fire for them just because again they might be having indecision yeah and well, that's what, like i was hoping for some questions or something but yeah it was just like silence that's also the thing is young what we what i realize is that young people don't know how to work and they yeah. don't know they don't <laughs> they they don't know how to communicate yeah well and that's and, you know and this yeah. is true this has been true for generations it's not this isn't anything new to the 21st century that's why right. my little silly book which i mean it's funny because people who are good at communication might say like you know but this is like yeah interpersonal skills for people who work with other people like i still te i've been teaching this material for eight years now save material sometimes i iterate and add new stories because the stories are endless like the examples yeah. that i can pull for any one of these 12 ways to be better to work with they're all communication things and they're all super tiny and yeah. one of hurt you <laughs> i'm sorry i missed that what one one of one of the items is, is silence can hurt you um yeah like, so don't go silent but, yeah but that's the thing is like uh you don't also need to be passive. You can just create a deadline because that, that helps somebody because, because again, if young people don't know how to work, that's true. Then don't know how to be responsible. You have to create a framework so that they understand that they're responsible to the framework. And yeah. so having a deadline and then just saying, I'm assuming that if I don't hear from you in the next three days, that we're done. And I wish you the best on all of your other pursuits. Because I'm going to do that. I'm going to take that approach because I do think that's a, because I do you're really helping. Like you know, I do really yeah, like but you, but But that's the thing. You are helping them understand that there are, there are things such as deadlines in business. There are, frameworks that people need to be responsible to otherwise they will never be able to work with other people and it's obvious no one has taught them that if you take money from someone you have an obligation to communicate with them mm -hmm. yeah and it's like i gave you money i expected that you were going to do some work it's been three weeks I have seen no work. And so I am assuming that if I don't hear from you in the next 48 hours, that we are done and I probably, uh, and we're done and I don't expect to hear from you again. And then you might get a big pile of excuses, Which is but at least you're done. Yeah. And that, that what that what happens is in those instances is they will show their colors, right? They will either come up with a bunch of excuses or they will just say, I'm sorry. Yeah. And I wasn't able to do this or I didn't get this done. But the moment they start piling on excuses, you know that they're just not really prepared to work. They're not ready. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's that's I feel like I feel like um part of it was maybe lumping them together. Like I almost felt like I should separate the two because I feel like one has a really strong desire to do stuff. And the other one is a little more less interested, maybe. 
like that's the vibe I got, but I don't know if that's true. But so maybe I should just separate the the two so, things. So as one well. one was pimping the other one. Or <laughs> maybe like I just feel like like maybe lumping them together might have been part of the downfall on my end. You know, well you it's fine. That's also yeah. a lesson for them to learn is communicating with each other. But, yeah, exactly. And, but ultimately, I feel like it's our job. It's our job as elder business people to teach the younger people we work with about how the business, how business works. Exactly. And, and that's, and that is not, it isn't benefited by ignoring them. Right. It's true. It's it's true. Part of me is kind of like, eh, you know, but, but yeah, you're right. Like, like if I really want to maybe, I don't know, incubate some growth which I, I do think I could inspire. Um, but some... it's not even that. It's just setting a boundary. It's setting a business boundary for yourself because yeah. then then the next time, their next time you're not waiting two weeks, right? Yeah. You might only well, be waiting. total. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The next time you might only be waiting three days and say, yeah. okay, great. I'll look forward to hearing from you on Friday. Yeah. And... And if you don't hear from them on Friday, it's like, what's up? Yeah. And do you need another day? Are you going to be doing stuff? What's yeah. You know? Like just let and me then know. It's like, and then if I, if I don't hear from you, then it's like, well, I assume we're done. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do that. I'm going to um, put that together. Because that's, I, fr- that's freedom for you, because then if you still need that stuff done or want that stuff done, get somebody else, to do you that. get somebody, then you don't, then, then that, that time is that energy is free for, yeah. for the new. And it, it's not good. We don't like reject. It's not fun to reject people, but it is important to set boundaries so that people know like the, especially young people so that they know how it works. Yeah. Um, because they don't know how it works. <laughs> they just, they, they don't, it's they very don't true. Know. <laughs> it's very true. And you know, like, um, uh, anyway, yeah, I feel like this, we should save some of this for next time. Cause there's, All right. I, we'll see well, how it goes. Cause I'll, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. We'll follow up with that. We'll that see how be. the, this mentoring at a distance, see how this works. Yeah. Cause you know, it's funny. Cause I've, I've done a lot of mentoring and coaching and usually it's with people a little further along in their career and, you know, at some sort of junction and, and there is a very fascinating, um, an interesting need for people who are even younger, freshly out of college, freshly out of high school, trying to figure out what they want and how, how to go about it and navigate it. And, and yeah, maybe more guidance and a little more patience is exactly what they need. Well, or maybe sending them somewhere else, right? Like that, like it's not our responsibility and also they have to be interested. Well, and that's where they have to be interested in in moving moving to the next level of understanding whether it's being a professional or being just a good employee they have to be interested in how do i you know how do i succeed at this yep no it's very true very true i mean we we have a bunch of we have a bunch of young people at our company who they're probably their first professional job 
yeah. was at our company. And we realize now that we have taught some of them a lot of, as we bring new people who have worked for bigger professional organizations, we realize that a lot of the legacy, the long-term employees, that we have taught them a lot of bad habits. <laughs> <laughs> it is interesting too, because sometimes you do things in the sake of being nimble in startup mode or whatever. And then you realize like, as you grow, those practices are not necessarily scalable. And, and then you've got, yeah, things you've got to adjust, course correct. <laughs> so, That's exactly you know, right. This ties so much into the, that, that potential theme we talked about though, there's the practice of deciding. And I think, um, you know, this, this goes, it ties right back into that, like helping develop a practice of deciding and, and acting upon that decision and, you know, follow through. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. Stefan, <laughs> I, like I think we have decided, we've decided that this is the natural conclusion. Yeah. What a, what a, a really wondrous uh, journey we've taken today. Yeah. Yeah, it's been nice. Thank you. Thank you. And <laughs> until next week. Yes. Thank you. Um, I'll see you next week and I'll get this posted uh, right. to you right away. All right. <laughs> Take and care, Stefan. Cheers, Jamie. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>